Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 63 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, host of this show and admin for the Facebook group Baseball 365, which you can join, and we have over 1,800 members discussing baseball every day, and as we're getting here into baseball season, spring training games are underway, and... It's getting more active over there. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Baseball365Pod. You can follow myself at JustinHughes365. And you can follow Andrew at AMCQ82. And if you'd like to support the show, we are giving away a Baseball365 t-shirt to somebody who leaves us a five-star rating on iTunes, Google Pod, Google Play, I think is Google Play Store, whatever it is, whatever platform you listen to podcasts, if you go out and leave us a five-star review and either send me a message with the screenshot of the review or tweet the podcast at Baseball365Pod, either way, we'll get you added to the drawing and Andrew and I will be giving away a Baseball365 shirt at the end of this month. All right. Now let me bring on Andrew, and I've got my question of the week, Andrew, for you, which is this. What is your most prized baseball-related possession that you own? I would say anything that has to do with the Cubs World Series win or Mm -hmm. my hats, because I've got all 30 team hats. So I think that's the first time this has been mentioned on here. You have yeah. per- successfully purchased 30 Major League Baseball team hats. Yeah. And who was the 30th? I don't remember. I know one of the two teams. <laughs> I can't remember yeah. which one. The last two were White Sox and Cardinals. I think I got them on, <laughs> I think I got them on the same day, actually. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, don't have, I don't have anything too crazy. I obviously like i said value the cub stuff from that year i've got a decent amount of that and yeah my hats i mean i don't have too many like crazy collectors items like some people i don't think i do either um probably me would be the bobbleheads i love baseball bobbleheads and i've collected about 30 of them now i got them all boxed up right because it we're getting ready to sell our house and move into a new, buy another one here in about a month, but I'm looking forward to getting those things back out. But the other thing I have is one of those panoramic long photos of Bush stadium. I love those long rectangular panoramic shots of an entire stadium. And Danae, my wife said, got me one for Christmas a few years ago and said, I didn't even realize that she's like, every time we're in the store and you ever see one of those, you stop and look at that thing longing to get it. And I'll, you look like your eyes are almost tearing up when you see it. So she knew she had to get me one yeah. and she didn't realize what she was getting herself into. Cause she bought it at like the mall at a, some store and didn't realize until she got up there that it was almost $200 for that dang photo. She's like, what? But she, she was too far in at that point. So she decided to get it to me for me and it sets above our TV and I love it. Awesome. 
On tonight's episode, we're going to go over the utility-only players and their ADP in NFBC leagues. And after that, we're going to go over a few of the, after we go over a few of those players. After that, we will cover the relief pitcher position, discussing discussing the closer situations on all thirty teams, and some players we like to get save we and some players we would like to get saves in season on. So, Andrew, we'll get started on utility. And I got a question for you, which is how much does a player not having eligibility at a position and only being UT eligible affect your desire to draft him? Not much, actually. I think that I care about that less than the average player. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if it's a good hitter, it's a good hitter. And I'm willing to do it if the price is right and, you know, I feel like the value's there. So I think it gets overcompensated for in some situations, not all, but yeah, I don't mind it. I mean, it, you have to fill all the slots anyway, so it doesn't bother me. I'm with you. I've never really been one to be bothered about taking it because it's still a position. And not only that, I kind of look at it, if I draft one of these early guys and put them in the utility position, I just look at them as an outfielder in my brain and just think, okay, I've got to take whoever my fifth outfielder is. That's my utility guy instead. Yeah. And I think my outfield's stronger. Like I don't, I don't feel like my outfield one, two, three has to be quite as strong because I've got, a, I've got my utilities put it, filled in with a stud if you're taking one of these early guys. Okay, well, we'll get started, and the number one utility guy is Jordan Alvarez, who is going 39th overall in 143 games last year between the majors and minors. He hit 50 home runs. In the majors, he hit 313 with his batting average, and he comes with a heavy cost as a third-round pick. Andrew, does this feel early, about right, or late for you? Man, what a year, huh? Jeez. What a year. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, As far as this year, price, I think it's about right, actually. I know I've said previous uh, previous podcasts that he was definitely off my radar for this year, and he still kind of is. More to do with the next guy than to do with him. I, I The projections he basically if you take his steamer projection projected out over the year dollars earned he's the 38th most valuable player so it's right about in the right spot if that's what you want to do uh that's you know 15 team standard settings stuff like that but yeah i just i'm down on him in as it relates to the next guy because the next guy goes 50 picks later but Jordan himself, I mean, yeah, he's a stud, crushes everything. 200 WRC plus in home games, so but great on the road too. I wonder a little bit with him how the distractions that will come. I mean, it's just kind of inevitable that some of that is going to come with Houston this year. I wonder how much of that will affect him specifically, more so than the other guys, because he's just younger and hasn't been around as long, you know, but I think he's probably fine here. And yeah, he's a stunt. That's a good, that's a good 
point about the projected dollars earned. And yeah, he has a strong projection with Steamer. They're buying into it. They're the 313 average he had last year, that seems high for a left-handed power guy who's not fast-footed. And that 366 batting on average batting average on balls in play kind of supports that for a left-handed, slow-footed player. But they're still projecting him for a 276 average with 37 home runs, 90 runs, 100 RBI. Yeah, I'm on board with the pick, but I also, well, let's let's just get into the next guy and then we'll explain <laughs> why. Because I think, like, you're right, they tie together. And that would be the guy going 49 picks later at 88th overall in Nelson Cruz. And Andrew, I'm just going to wind it up. I know you're a fan. Tell everyone why. Yeah, this price is pretty absurd, actually, to me. So if you plug in, like I said, 15 teams, standard, just roto settings, batting average, you could probably do it with on base, too. Cruz's projection is the 17th most valuable hitter. Just hitters. I I kind of look at this like I've always loved Cruz, so but I really do try and just remove the bias that you know sometimes I guess could creep in with a player you like. But to me, it's just way way too much of a discount here for the age that he is and the fact he's a DH. I was saying to you yesterday, if he was a 27 year old outfielder he would be viewed like Aaron Judge is viewed or Bryce Harper. I, I, I want to say I don't have Better. that in front of me. Actually. I, I don't want to say in, or I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say that dollars earned, you know, he's right there with those guys. It's just the discount that you're getting here. It's just it's just unbelievable. Last six seasons, home run totals, 40, 44, 43. 39, 37, and 41. By far the most home runs in baseball over the last six years. 163 WRC plus last year. That was the best of his career in a full season. I mean, there will be a year, probably pretty soon, where it goes sideways or he gets, you know, he gets hurt. I mean, he's old, you know, it's but it's like in a one year sprint. Are you the the only reason he's going here is because of that, and there's nothing he's done that leads me or should lead anyone to believe that that is imminent, that it's going to be this year. There's no decline showing he isn't getting hurt full seasons every year. I mean, like what I said with Judge, he's been he's been more healthy than Judge has been. You know, at his age, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I could probably go on all night about it. So I don't know. I know you agree, at least on some of it. I don't know how much, but I just think this guy's way underpriced. I took him at the other night in the 20 team redraft OBP. I was in the 18th spot and I told myself before the draft even started, I was taking him in round four. It was 63rd pick. Was totally happy with it. I knew if I waited, the next pick was 98. I mean, it's a long wait, 18th pick in a 20-team league, you know, going back the other way. 
And I just didn't want to wait. I wanted him. So glad I got him. I feel great about it. He's a second round pick, third round pick type of player. Or who's going in the sixth round, in the end of the sixth round on average. And I have a I have a tweet that I've had saved for a, mo- a couple months now. Uh, let's see. It was Ryan Bloomfield. Nine hitters have hit over 300 with 40-plus home runs in the last seven years. Their ADP the following year, 2, 3, 3, 5, 6, 13, 23, 48, 97. The 48 and 97? Well, that would be Nelson Cruz in 2016 and 2020. Yeah. Yep. Crazy. Yeah, and it and it's and it's all because of the two things. Yep. UT only and age. That's but it. You're spot on. It's going to go sideways one of these years. But how many years now have people been predicting that this is going to be the year it happens? Uh, right. And they people have been wrong year after year. And who knows? This could be the year they're right. Or it could be another two, three years before it happens. We don't know. And I, yeah, I'll gladly take the price. I'm not paying a second round price for him because of the, the there being other guys around him. But yeah, third, fourth, and you don't have to. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to. That's the biggest thing. Do you want to do the question that we had here? Yes. Uh, yeah, we did take a question. You... Uh, Alex Foltz asked on the on the Facebook group where I did ask for questions for relief pitcher and utility. He asked in Dynasty, what sort of return should someone try to get for Nelson Cruz? This is a tough question, Andrew. What? How would you answer this for Alex? So this is going to be a little bit of a cop out. So I'll just apologize in advance, but. The way that I view Nelson Cruz in a dynasty league is pretty much this. I So I have Cruz on one team, one dynasty team, and I'm competing or at least in the money running, you know, whatever, top few teams, whatever. But I just look at Nelson Cruz like I'm just holding him until it's over because – you're not going to get enough to make it worth moving him. You just aren't. I I mean, every league's different. Maybe I could be wrong. I, I guess saying you aren't is probably like one of those. You, you don't want to make blanket statements on some of this stuff. And I get that. But there's nobody that's like running out to try and get Nelson Cruz in Dynasty League. If you have him and you're trying to win the league right now, he's a great asset to have. If you're on a rebuilding team and you have him, I mean, it's hard to say. You probably didn't set up your team right. I don't know, but uh, I feel like as far as what type of prospect you can get, I don't know. You just kind of have to feel out your league, and every league is different. But I'm just really tempted to just say you just got to stick with that guy because he provides so much right now. And obviously he's older, so everybody is everybody that doesn't own him is just thinking about the end, the drop off, whatever. But you may you may get a surprise. I don't know. It kind of depends on the league. Well, I'm gonna play a him or him game with this one because and this is tough, but let's say you've got a cr- crappy team. 
And you just you you need to move Nelson Cruz because you're two three years away and you're not going to compete. And right now you're putting him out there and saying one for one best prospect I can get. You're floating it out there, and these are the offers that come. Let's see if I can get you to agree on one or to is where. My team, so my team's not in the running? No, your team is bad, and you realize you're okay. not going to compete for a few years. So I was hearing a podcast with James Anderson, was listening today from a few days ago, and he was floating somebody out there because, oh, it was Josh Hader, and he's like, I'm not doing a three-for-one, best prospect I can get me. Sit there and worked for a while. Same deal here. Let's. I'm going to give you a couple names here. I'm going to start at the top and just keep going down until you say yes. Um, not going to start every single one of these. Just going to pick some random guys that I see on a list. Uh, what about C.J. Abrams with the Padres? Oh wait a minute. Actually, I'm. Do- yeah, I'm going to see how long until you say no. I guess. You're saying would I take? Would I Which, trade Nelson Cruz for C.J. Abrams in a yes. rebuild? Yes. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Try, I would try and get more, but yeah. probably, yeah. Okay. Uh, what about Mackenzie Gore? Yeah. Yep, I agree. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., I've picked two first-year player guys. I need to stay yeah. off these because we're talking about these next week. So forget that one. I'm just going to pick a different guy because I don't. I we're we're going to be talking about a lot of those guys next week. Um, Carter Keyboom. Man, I don't think I don't think so. No, I I'm not. I'm not a big Keyboom guy. So yeah, I mean, I would you, just shop. I would shop around. I mean, to give an idea. In a recent industry dynasty league startup draft, I looked, Nelson Cruz went 138 overall, okay. which I thought was a little high, and I love him. He's 88 in redraft. 138 in dynasty, I mean, I think the 88 is too low, too, mm-hmm. but dynasty and redraft with Nelson Cruz is way different. I mean, let's yes. be real, you know? So... Yeah, I think that that was a little high, but that should at least give you an idea of what you're looking at in terms of value. You know, top yeah, top twenty, top twenty-five, one fifty player, whatever. I w- I will say one more, and we can move on. But I offered, I made a very good owner about a year and a half ago an offer, straight up. I offered him Nelson Cruz for Royce Lewis. And he responded kind of like he didn't think it was that great of an offer or whatever. I I had Nelson Cruz. I was trying to get Royce Lewis. And he didn't think it was that great of an offer. Fine, whatever. We we didn't do anything. But here we are a year and a half later, and Nelson Cruz is still killing it. And Royce Lewis is coming off of a tough year. A pretty tough year in mm-hmm. the minor leagues. Now I'm not saying, you know, there will obviously be a point probably in the not too distant future where they cross paths. Yeah. You're still doing that trade now though. Yes. Uh, yeah, I would, but I'm just saying it's also been a year and a half, you know, completely like that, agree. Yes. Time does matter too. So yeah. it's a tricky one. I, 
I'm just tempted to hold Nelson Cruz if I have him in Dynasty. Enjoy the ride, and it'll end when it ends. But Agreed. Okay, we'll move on to number three, and this is an, almost 100 picks later. Chris Davis with the Oakland A's at 179 overall. And after four straight seasons of hitting exactly 247, he failed to reach that mark this last year, hitting 220. What's worse is that the power dropped down to 23 home runs. So now he was dealing with a hip injury that he suffered in May, and he wasn't the same afterwards. He's 32 years old. And my question for you, Andrew, is Chris Davis giving people a buying opportunity here, or are you staying away from this guy? Yeah, it could be a buying opportunity. Uh, His hard hit percentage was way down last year. Ground ground ball percentage was up. The thing I worry about with him is he's just a one-dimensional player. It's like you look at Chris Davis. He's a DH, so there's no defensive value. There's no speed. He's not a great hitter. I mean, you know, bat to ball, he strikes out a lot. Really, the only thing that he does well, even in his best years, you know, is hit for power. That's it. So, and, you know, that's how he's made his living. That is the only thing that he does well. He doesn't have any arm. He can't really play the field anymore. Like, that's just, it's all power. And these days, when you're hitting, when that's your only ass, like, skill, and you're hitting 23 home runs, it just isn't good enough. I do think he can bounce back some. I mean, I think the hip injury affected him, like you said. But I don't know. As far as where it'll land, I would say probably, you know, it's probably a cop-out answer, but somewhere in between last season and, previous years I could see it I could even see it going sideways again you know and I think if he has another year like he did last year tanked I mean he he might get to the point where the A's cut him I don't I don't know like it just it's bad it's just there's not a lot of real life value when you're only the only thing you do well is hit for power and you don't hit for a lot of power because it's the only thing he does well. You had me wondering there what his contract situation was. I just pulled it up. Two years, $33.5 million for this year and next. So I don't think they could yeah. cut him. But on the same yeah, note. I was, I was going to say, I, when I said that, I was that was the next thing I was going to bring up. I just didn't. I don't think they'll actually do that. But No, it'd be tough. But on the same note, there he's not getting another good contract if – he doesn't put up a year this year. That's a it's a big year for him. I yeah. think it's going to be closer to pretty close to what he was doing as compared to last year. Personally, I think he'll be back where he's yeah. hitting two forty with third high thirties, low forties home runs. But yeah, it definitely wouldn't surprise me. That doesn't mean you can't you can't rule out that he started slipping and he's, he's and, and he, he's a great. He's a great value here if if he does that, you know. I mean, pick one, 180. Basically, you're looking at the end of the 12th, like 12th, 13th, 13th round. Yep. And that's great. So if you have any faith in him bouncing back, I mean, definitely go after him there. Then we got Miguel Andujar going another 80 picks later at 256 overall. 
Andohar had a torn labrum at the beginning of last year, and he tried playing through it to at least DH, but he wasn't healthy or performing, and eventually he had surgery and missed the rest of the season. Now, reports are saying he's going to learn first base and left field this spring, and his third base days could be in jeopardy here. Andohar was pretty good in 2018 in his first full season, hitting 298 with 27 home runs, but the question is, does he get playing time now? Andrew, over under 500 bats for Andohar in 2020. Under. So do you think he's playing regularly, or do you think that's more injury-related? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. It was a tough – I mean, lost season, obviously. It's it's really hard to – you can't take anything from last year. I In this spot, pick 256, it's hard to hurt you too much. I mean, I've never really loved him that much in real life. He doesn't walk. You're not getting steals, like for fantasy – it's really an average power only guy on a good team. Uh, if he struggles, you never know what's going to happen. I don't know. It's kind of a wait and see thing for me with him. If you like him in this spot, it's fine. Like I said, it's not going to hurt you. Any pick in this range, I mean, he could he could be really good. It just it's hard to say for me. It's for me it's kind of a wait and see thing with him. Yeah. They have plenty of outfielders. They have Luke Voigt over at first. If he's not playing third, I don't think it's good. He may not get the playing time. So yeah, he's not I even think, slated to. He's not even slated to be in the lineup right now. Is he not? I hadn't looked at and, roster resource. Yeah, he's on the bench. Urschel is at third, and Voigt's at uh, Voigt's at first. How much has changed in a year? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he had a two ninety seven batting average in two thousand eighteen with a three twenty eight OBP. Yeah. You know, it's just, I mean, I, I could see a way where it works out and he hits for average and power together and stays healthy. And, you know, there's just a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of things that have to click together that did click together in 2018, but may not again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's kind of tough. All right, well, we'll go down to Texas with Nick Solak at 281 overall. This is my boy. And Nick can hit in 148 games between the Rays and Rangers um, AAA teams and the Rangers Major League Baseball team. Solak had 32 home runs and stole seven bases. He controls the strike zone well with a low 20s K rate and a walk rate that has pushed double digits in the minors. I'm a fan of this guy. But the the negative is he's a poor third baseman. Second place is blocked by Odor. But now I hear he's going to get some looks at first base and possibly center field as they're trying to find a way to get his bat in the lineup. So I got the same question except with a different number. Over under 450 at bats for Solak, Andrew. It's close. I'll say under. I think I'd take over. I don't feel great about it. Cause, but it, I think it will be close. Yeah. I'm just looking at yeah, Steamer right now. They have him at 458. Yeah. I think he's kind of a, some of the parts guys. I mean, some of the parts guy, excuse me. Uh, 
nothing, I don't know, nothing really stands out. I think he's like the definition of an average major leaguer in the end, which is fine. I mean, I think he's like a good deep league option. I, I just don't know how impactful he's going to be, really. But in like a deep league, where he could be valuable. He probably will have multi-position eligibility. We're talking about him here on UT onlys, but he's probably going to wind up with like second base, third base, maybe outfield. Maybe and that first. Could, yeah, that could be valuable in a deeper league, I'm thinking more. I think of uh, – I kind of think of him like I do – Nico Horner in a way Mm -hmm. where it's just a guy that I think can hit, but I'm not sure how much power and speed he's going to have. So I just don't know how really valuable he'll be. But like I said, in a deep league, useful for sure. I just, we'll see how much he plays. I think he's probably going to play a fair bit. I, I could see taking the over on the at bats. The power and speed and I intrigued me in 2018, he had 19 home runs and 21 steals and one went up and one went down this last year and 20 or with the 32 home runs and seven steals. I think it would be more intriguing if he was running some more and even hitting for a little less power, but yeah, I'm intrigued by this guy. I like him. I like his chances of being productive this year. Uh, Rick Eimers asked us to talk about Solak and asked if he could break out like Josh Bell did last year. And, you know, that's kind of an odd question is I think Bell was up for a few years and kind of considered a disappointment before exploding. But I also think he's just meaning, can this guy explode on the league and have one of those huge seasons like Bell just had? And I, I don't know. I don't I don't know if I see that. But again, I think I see a real good player who could be pro- productive for teams. What are your What are your thoughts on him and the odds of him like exploding? Should I say and being like a top fifty hundred player? Yeah, I don't I don't really see that. But I do think that, like I said, with the eligibility that he should have, it could be the perfect guy to have on your bench, or. I mean, in and out of your lineup, I guess I should say. Like, I like to have guys on my bench that are multi-position eligible. Again, I I know it's funny because we're on UTIL only. It's actually hilarious. (laughs) uh, Just like I said, when he's had second base, third base, outfield, and you can move that guy around. I say on your bench, but I really just mean like almost like a utility guy for your fantasy team where you can just move him all over the place when guys get hurt and he's going to get at bats. And that's kind of how I view Solek right now. And we'll just see, you know, what happens. I mean, he could be better than that. He could be not as good as that. I don't know for sure, but I think he'll get at bats and you'd be able to move him around. So as far as exploding like Josh Bell, I don't see that. Over under 20 home runs. It's right about right. Uh, I can't. I'm not going to get a bet out of you on that one. Nah. Nope. I was wanting to just because I'm a fan. I'm like, I need to get a Solak bet in here, but I don't think, I think it all. I think it all comes down to the playing time. I just some of that yep. stuff. It's, it's hard to say. Okay. All right. Well, that wraps up the utility, and we're going to take a quick break, and then Andrew and I are going to dive into the closures. <laughs>
All right, Andrew, last year was a tough year for the relief pitcher position. I mean, there's always turnover. We see this every year, but last year was incredibly tough. Edwin Diaz was going in the fourth round and was awful and lost his job. Blake Trinan was a top five closer, and he lost his gig after being ineffective and injured. Kinley Jansen wasn't his dominant self, and so many others pitched poorly and lost their jobs. So because of that, the prices on the elite relievers this year is down from where they were a year ago. Andrew, do you think that's fair, or is this a buying opportunity on them? Or a little of both? A little bit of both. Yeah, I was just about to say yes. Just as a, <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, I don't think that that means it's going to be that way this year, but obviously they're pushed back some too, so. So what's your strategy on this position going into drafts? I like to get one guy that I feel really good about. And I would say there are probably, well, let me just say this, I guess, off the top. I don't feel great about too many of these guys. I mean, the relief pitcher position in fantasy, when you're talking about saves, so much of it is putting faith in the manager and in the team to leave the guy in the role. A lot of these guys, especially the guys in the middle tier, they only have fantasy value because they have the role. I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and it's just when you remove, like when the role goes away, so do they. And most of the guys, as we go down the list, they're a few blow-ups in a row away from losing their job. There's just not a lot of them that are going to have it basically no matter what. So it's just something to think about. You know, it's, it's very, very much a volatile position. I would say my strategy is I like to get one guy I feel relatively good about, which I would say there are probably about 11 or 12 maybe 13, something like that. And then after that, my second, and, you know, if you want a third one, whatever, just kind of go with guys that I like. But I like to get one fairly solid one that I feel that I feel good about. Yeah, I'm with you. Last year I was aggressive and I was getting two of them. And I picked the wrong year to be doing that because of how many of them blew up. So, but I still do... I like the fact that the elite guys are pushed down a little bit. It makes me wanting to double down. I've been getting a lot of Aroldis Chapmans or Osunas in these drafts as they just, I mean, going in the sixth round on sixth, seventh round on some of these guys. I'm all, I, I'm all about trying to get at least one of get. I should say getting one of them. I'm not doubling down like last year and getting two of them early that often, but yeah, I like getting one and just kind of try to fill the second one as I go. Or I shouldn't say that. I mean, as in grab a second one, and if it doesn't work out, then go get fill it as I go. All right. Well, we'll start with the top guy. That'd be Josh Hader going 63rd overall. So we're talking early fifth round, and he was the top guy last year. The question before wasn't ever stuff or performance, but more that he was pitching in an Andrew Miller-type role for the Brewers. That was until Corey Knievel's elbow in blew out last year, and he had Tommy John surgery. 
Hitter ran with the job, had a 2.6 ERA, 138 strikeouts in 75 innings, and 37 saves. He was awesome. But now it's a year later, and he's being drafted as the number one overall reliever, like I said before, going in the average of the top of the fifth round. Andrew, now that the cost is a lot more than last year, is he the number one closer for you, and are you willing to pay that price for Hader? I think he's the number one closer, probably. I think it's closer than the ADPs indicate. As far as paying the price, I think it's a little high. I'm not completely against it. I mean, I love Josh Hader. I've got him in two dynasty leagues, kind of bought in when he was a lot cheaper than he is now. I've always, he is must-see TV for me. When I know, like when I'm available and I know Josh Hader is coming into the game, I change the game to that game. Like I always watch him. I just think he's so fun to watch. He's just, he's great. I mean, his fastball slider combination, it's just, it's out of this world. It's crazy how much he throws his fastball, 82.9% last year. I don't get why. It's almost like when you watch it, it's like, why don't they just sit on the fastball more? But then it's like, they do, and they still can't hit it. It's pretty crazy. But sometimes, yeah, it gets a little too fastball happy. I mean, it hasn't hurt him that much. He gives up homers, but not really much else. I mean, there's just not guys getting on base. So a lot of times when he gives up the homers, it's solo homers, which a lot of times you can live with. Must it's a one-run game, obviously. Over 15 Ks per nine career. I, the main the main thing I just wonder, the, really the only thing with Hader, is I just wonder if they do go back to Corey Knievel. Because there was a point where he was good. I don't think that's imminent. I don't think Knievel's just going to come back and, boom, be the closer again. It's probably going to take a combination of things for that to happen. And I'm not really worried about it. But it's in the back of my head a little bit. I mean, I remember how it was before. They loved using Hader in that role where they can bring him in in the 6th, 7th, 8th part of the lineup and he can face the toughest part, you know. So that's a little bit in there, but it's it's nitpicky, man. Like, he's so good. 58th in the majors in strikeouts the last <laughs> two years. The last two years combined, he has more strikeouts than you, Darvish, Hunjin Ryu and Corey Kluber. Gee. Awesome. Stud. It's really, it's really just the role. I mean, is he gonna continue to get saves? And I mean, honestly, you could take the the a Brewers beat writer that has way more inside information than me or you, and he doesn't know. No. Like nobody knows, you know? It's that's just that's part of the game. I mean, that's we'll find we'll see. But I think he's probably going to be fine this year as far as saves go. I don't think the Brewers know. I but no. I do think that if they knew that Corey Knievel was healthy and back to his old self, they'd put him in that role because I do think that they want Hater to be the seventh, eighth inning guy who can come in and throw two innings anytime and get big outs when most needed. So yeah. I. I think that it's just going to take a combination of things that could to happen for it not to be hater. And while I do think that 
it could be, you know, like haters struggling, Knable looks good, yada, 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 whatever else. But, I mean, those two things would definitely have to happen. I mean, if hater is hater, I, I don't really think they're going to move him, at least not right away. So. Next up is Kirby Yates at 79 overall, and he was drafted high as a reliever. But there was a lot of fear that he la, – I'm talking about last year, I should say. But there was a lot of fear that he could get traded during the season. And, and instead, the Padres held on to Yates, and he had a great season with a 1.19 ERA, 41 saves, and over 100 strikeouts. So, Andrew, he's number two here. I'll ask it this way. Is he a top three closer this year? Easily could be. I don't want to diminish anything that he's done. Obviously, he had a huge season last year. I'd probably have him more like fourth or fifth if it was me, just because I still think that he could wind up being traded. I know he wasn't last year, but. If San Diego struggles this year. Yeah, 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 I just wonder about it, you know. And it was a complete, not a, not an out-of-nowhere season, but a better season than you expect. I like the next two guys better. But, yeah, he could easily be top three. I mean, he is a stud, and he should get saves for the majority, if not all, of the year. Yeah, I would expect him to get them all the year, but I also wouldn't rule out a trade, which, yeah, would hurt. And I also agree, I'd have a number four behind the next two, first one being Aroldis Chapman with the Yankees at 86. For the fourth straight season, Chapman did not clear the 60-inning mark, but he has again. He was again dominant when on the mound, minus the ALCS against Altuve, who might have been mic'd up, but we'll move on. Uh, I have to say, I really like Chapman's price here at 86. That's the end of the sixth round. Sign me up for that. You got anything on Chapman? Yeah, I think uh, I think that Chapman is probably for me the closest guy to Hater. I this guy, I don't know anybody who's listening or just go look at Aroldis Chapman's career season by season. He has never been bad, never. I I was looking at it earlier just his year by year and I've done it before, but it's actually mind blowing when you go and just look at every single year, what this guy does. I mean, I think his worst year in the last eight years, I made the comment earlier is three twenty two ERA and over 12 Ks per nine. That was yeah. his worst season, worst season. And it, it was in 2017. I think he had 22 saves or something like that. He didn't, yeah. I, think that was the year where they took the role away for a little bit or something but Mm -hmm. I feel like with Chapman he's the guy that like no matter what team he's on or no matter who is on his team he's the ninth inning guy yes no matter what over every single guy in the league yeah because he's just been that dominant for that long if you wanted to take him ahead of hater honestly I wouldn't even argue it I think that Uh, there's too big of a gap in their ADPs I like Chapman more at his ADP. I do agree, and I think I'd take Chapman straight up. That's why I'm, yeah, I'm I don't, all about I getting him here. Yeah, Next. Guess, or the 20-team the draft I was talking about, <laughs> I was on the clock. 
and it was between Yasmani Grandal and Chapman. And I took Grandal. I love both of them, but I took Grandal. It was one of those where I, I thought I, I got Ozuna on the way back, so I was okay with that. But Steve Trapani was picking behind me, and he said I sniped him on Grandal, and then he took Chapman. <laughs> so it was just we were both wanting both of those guys. It was just funny. So. Two good players. Yeah. All right. Number four, Roberto Osuna with the Astros at 91. And just like Chapman, Osuna feels pretty underrated to me. The top of the seventh round for an elite closer. I don't I, – again, just like Chapman, I'm loving the price here, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, very similar in just that I, I trust him in the role. Gosh, he just turned 25. Isn't that just – Yeah, he's young. Like that. Yeah, he's, he was so young when he started. I think he was 20, maybe 19 or 20 when he came up. But, yeah, Osuna's a stud. I mean, these guys are just – they do what they do. They're the ninth-inning guy. He's awesome. I, there's really not much else to say. Yeah. And then we get to the last guy in the top five, and that would be Liam Hendricks with the Oakland A's at 108 overall. And yes, I get that Hendricks was great in 2019 and pitched like an elite closer. But have we not learned from Blake Trinan last year? Drafting closers coming off a career year can be risky business. Can it, Andrew? A little bit. I mean, unless they've just made some legitimate changes. It it was definitely a crazy year. I kind of get the what you're saying with the trying and vibe, but I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that he's on Oakland mm-hmm. last year. So he only threw his, throws his curveball 8% of the time. He threw 104, he threw it 104 times last year. So he threw 104 curveballs all season, gave up one hit Gee. Off, of, off of his curveball. And it was a home run to Alex Bregman. Wow. So, yeah. Incredible year. I stumbled into him in one dynasty league, just getting him off of waivers and never expected what he ended up doing. It's remarkable. We'll see if he can keep it up. I think he probably does, honestly. I I actually think that him and Yates are pretty close. I was thinking about that. I don't know who I'd rather have. I think they're close. But, yeah, could go either way. All right, well, that rounds up the top five, and we're going to take a quick break here, and we're going to come back and finish up the back half of the top ten here. All right, number six is Brad Hand with the Cleveland Indians at 118 overall. So we're talking right near the end of the, uh, what, what is that, 105, a 7, 18. So ninth, eighth, ninth round here. We're real close to that wheel. Uh, Hand was once again really good last year. 34 saves, a 13 to 9K per nine in 57 innings. But he does have two nice young arms behind him in James Karinchek and Emmanuel Classe. Should the fact that the Indians ha- should the fact that the Indians having two potential closers with high end stuff worry owners about taking hand early? 
And if so, Andrew, or it isn't that you're projecting them to fail, but if those two kids are pitching well, it may benefit Cleveland to not sit around and wait if he's struggling, right? Yeah, potentially. I definitely, when I've been thinking about hand this year, I definitely think about Karinchek and uh, Class A because I think that they're both really good. Hand last year, his ground ball percentage went from 46% the year before to 27% last year. So giving up a lot more batted balls in the air, uh, declined some in the second half. Yeah, I wonder a little bit, like I said, about the other two guys, but he's probably okay. Little, little different type of guy. He throws his slider more than his four-seamer, which you don't see a lot, but I think Han's probably all right. There's a couple little things there, but as long as he's pitching well, and he should stay in the role. Yep, I agree. That said, if I owned Hand, if he had a couple hiccups, I'd be trying to get Karinchek or Klasse, whoever's pitching the eighth inning, fast. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. I definitely try. That's one of those. It's there's not a lot of them, maybe, especially among these top guys. But that's one of those where if I did have hand, I'd probably try and grab one of those guys like last pick or be watching it real close. Agreed. All right. Taylor Rogers with the Twins just a couple picks later. Here's another late breakout. The 29-year-old landed the closers role for the, in the second half, and he closed games out last year at a high-end level. But again, it was one year. So, Andrew, are you willing to take Rodgers somewhere near the top uh, in terms of the eighth, ninth round here in drafts? He's not my favorite guy in this range. It was a great year, really two great years, actually. I mean, he's been pretty pretty darn good for the last couple of years. Traded in some line drives for ground balls last year, which you like to see. We'll see if he keeps the job. I would assume he will. I mean, he is a lefty in the bullpen, and a lot of times we know that teams don't like to keep lefties in the closer role forever, Mm -hmm. but I also don't really see a reason why they would all of a sudden not make him the closer when he was good in the role last year and did just fine. So he's probably fine here. There's a couple other guys – I like more, but yeah, good, uh, good reliever for sure. Yeah. I don't think they're taking him out of that role unless he struggles, but I also could see them moving pretty quick if he does struggle just because they've signed yeah. other guys. They've got uh, Sergio Romo's there. I forget who the other guys, some guys with closing experience to where it wouldn't surprise me if he had some hiccups and some change happened. All right. Number eight. Up four picks later, the guy who was number one amongst all relievers last year, and that would be Edwin Diaz with the Mets. Diaz was one of the big pieces in that Mets-Mariners trade a year ago that Brody Van Wagen surely would take back right now if he could. After saving 57 games as the top closer in fantasy baseball in 2018, Diaz struggled hard in 2019. Five and a half ERA, 26 for 33 in save opportunities, and finally down the stretch, the Mets couldn't keep trotting him out there to save games. And Diaz was pulled from that role for Dan, uh, Lugo. 
Now the Mets are saying that he will start the year with the role again. And we did see this before in 2017 when Diaz was struggling to find the plate. And he eventually figured it out and was the top closer in 2018. So Edwin's actually going to be going as he's rated in Fantrax dollars projected. He's the top dollar closer in those projections. So they're clearly banking on history. But Andrew, the question is, should we? Man, it was uh, it was definitely a tough year. Understatement. I the yeah the projections do love him. Top five reliever in swinging strike percentage still last year. He just got crushed. Like ev- every ball that anybody made contact with, it just went a mile. Pretty much is what what happened with him, but. Slider was a lot less effective, left a lot more balls hit in the air. Last four years, his home run fly ball percentage, 14% in 2016, 14% in 2017, 10% in 2018, 26% last year. So it just oh skyrocketed. Gosh. Skyrocketed. Everything was hit hard. 377 BABIP was the second highest among relievers in baseball. I think – He's going to bounce back. I mean, I will admit I'm a huge Edwin Diaz fan, so there's maybe a little bit of that creeping in. But I also feel like a lot of this stuff can be corrected. First year, bright lights, New York City. I don't know. I just feel like this guy is still awesome and just had, like, in all the, you know, if there, if you played out that season 100 times, he pretty much had about the 99th or 100th best season out of 100. I mean, it was terrible. But I just think a lot of it was fluky and won't happen again. He's still missing bats and has pedigree, you know, that he can bounce back. So I think he will. I think he's going to be – I would take him – I would take him ahead of Rodgers. Agreed. I think hand – it's close. I'd I'd probably take him ahead of hand. I'd – I think he's going to bounce back. I'm with you on this one. You know, I just think he's still got that in him. I think that there's something to the fact that Seattle was using him so much for save situations the previous year. And he could have just been worn out. Needed a year. And he didn't go pitch near as much last year to where, yeah, rebound. Bye. I'm, I'm with you on that. Number nine is Kinley Jansen with the Dodgers at 128, and he was pretty good last year, but he also wasn't his dominant self. He still hold, held the role all that year, but had a career-high eight blown saves and also a career-high 3.71 ERA. It wasn't bad luck as XFIP showed a 3.7, but also the highest of his career. The strikeouts, though, they were still solid. But this is the second year in the row. They weren't near the 13-14 per, uh, strikeouts per nine that he had before. My question, is Kinley Jansen still an elite closer? I think he can be. I think that this could go either way. I could see him getting back to levels of dominance that he's been. I could also see him continuing to get worse. His cutter, which is his main pitch, last four years, 250 slugging against his cutter, 306, 401, 
429 last year. So getting worse on that. Uh, They are, I I saw a a blurb that I think it was on Fangrass that they're adjusting. This was a week ago that they're adjusting his delivery in an attempt to refine his cutter. Hmm. Whatever that means, they're probably just working on that. So we'll see how that goes. Maybe something to keep an eye on in spring. I do believe in Jansen, but I also think in the back of my head, and I think this sometimes with guys, am I just buying into the name? Yeah. You know, like sometimes I think we all do, we kind of all do it, but there's just like comfort in the brand name, you know? And this could be that because I think that if he is struggling this year, and Trinan is pitching good, it could flip. Yeah, I could see that. And we obviously know that Trinan is capable. I mean, he had a tough year last year, but I thought right when I heard them get Trinan, I I was thinking in my head, like, I could see, I I could see why they did it, you know? And you don't love it as a guy that owns Kenley, but, you know, it's nothing that's imminent, I'm sure, but just something that's going to have to keep him. He's going to have to pitch well. So, yeah, the Dodgers are, they have their chips in. They're trying to win. And they, if Kinley is not their best option, I definitely can see them moving him out of there. I could, uh, not, I could not believe in the playoffs how they didn't, they abandoned him. Wasn't that crazy? I've slept since then. I don't even remember. Refresh me. <laughs> well, no, it was the it was the end of game five, I believe, against the Nationals. And it may have even happened in another game, but the game was on the line, and he wasn't in the game. Oh, that's right. And then he came in and gave up the home run to Kendrick, right? No. It still wasn't think, him? No. I don't think he even came in the game. I'm pretty positive. Wow. Because they were talking about how, well, if you're not going to use Kenley in that situation, why is he even on the team? Mm-hmm. That was like kind of the topic right after. I know it's it's been a little while. I don't. Some of it is a little fuzzy. I don't remember all of exactly what they were saying, but I just definitely thought it was weird. It's like, wow, it's that's your guy, and you're not going to him. And it's just it's the biggest spot of the year, you know. Do you think he's still an elite closer? I think he can be. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if he will be, but I think he's capable of it. Hmm. Yeah, I, 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 clearly he is capable of it. I mean, he's shown those skills for a while, and but I, I think I'm less optimistic than you. I just, it really, he just looked like a different. Go, go ahead. What do you consider elite? You know, uh. Dominant strikeouts per nine, not blowing saves. Like top, ERA under top three. What? Like top what closer? Top five? Top ten? I'd say top five to eight, something like that. I mean, he's ranked ninth here. I'd I'd say more top five, but it might be top six, seven, eight. It just it depends on what everybody's doing. I don't think he's probably top five, but wouldn't shock me if he was. I guess. Well, what shocks me is Ken Giles is up here at number 10 at 134 <laughs> overall. 
The roller coaster ride for this guy continues. And the move to Toronto paid off for Giles as he had a sub-2 ERA and 83 strikeouts in 53 innings. Incredible year for Giles, but could you actually feel comfortable taking him as the 10th overall closer? I love the way you set that up. (laughs) That is a professional (laughs) segue right there. (laughs) Yeah, so I've... I've never been a Giles guy. He had a great season last year, way better than 2018, made a lot of improvements. I wonder if the – he's another one where I just wonder about if they trade him because you don't expect Toronto to – you know, there was even talk last year of them possibly trading him. So I'm not really sure. He probably – if I'm – you know, he's probably just outside the top ten for me. But – that could be wrong. I mean, he definitely was awesome last year. I look at these guys around him, and I kind of get it, but there's no way in hell I want him at this price. I just don't. ERAs. Yeah. Let's play the ERA game going back to 2014 and 2015. They they were both actually t- since 2015. 1.8 in 2015. 2016, 4.1. 2017, 2.3. 2018, 4.65. 2019, 1.8. That's why I say he's a roller coaster. It's everywhere with this guy. And you don't want to play the prediction game that, oh, now this year is an even year, so he's going to be bad. But it's also like, man, this guy cannot be consistent. I do. It's It goes back to what I've said about Francisco Liriano. I was always in on Liriano when the price was cheap, and I was completely off him when the price was high. And... Ken Giles, no thank you. Not touching him at this price. I've seen him blow up too many times. Yeah, I won't. I I would wait and just take a guy a little bit later. And next up is a guy who also definitely blew up in his entire time pitching in the big leagues, and that was Craig Kimbrell at 144 overall. And in Boston in 2018, Kimbrell was a top-tier closer for the Red Sox. But as he was nearing free agency, his control was really spotty during the season, and it really showed in the playoffs. So teams were scared to give him a contract that he desired this last offseason, especially because he was tied to draft pick compensation. So he was a free agent all the way through June when the compensation was off of him after the draft. And he signed with the Cubs, and things were a disaster. 6.53 ERA with over five walks per nine during the season. And now Kibble's price has dropped as he's a fourth round close, as he's a 10th round closer, I should say. So does this feel like a good gamble or a scary risk here? It's a tough one. I I feel like with Kimbrell, it's volatile to where it could go way up or way down but if i look like looking at these guys below him who would you take ahead of him i mean there's nobody i would take ahead of him of yep, the guys agreed. below him so it, i think it's just the right spot it's really i i don't think it's great or bad you know it's just like one of those where you get to this spot you want to take Kimbrel, just take Kimbrel cuz the guys below him there's plenty of warts with them too. The nice Gosh, part. What a, de- what a depressing line. 
man, 653 ERA in 23 games with a 160 whip. Holy smokes. I was at the game when Kimbrell's first game with the Cubs after he signed. We were, me and my buddy were going up to the game and we're like, this could be Kimbrell's. We actually talked about it a few days before because he was in Iowa and stuff just getting ready. And we're like, we might be at Kimbrell's first appearance, you know. And when he ran out of that tunnel, I tell you, that was the most electric I've seen Wrigley Field since the year they won it. You know, like I was at the game when they won the pennant and it, since that. I mean, it was just chills, you know, everybody going nuts and they're playing ACDC or whatever they were playing. And it was awesome. But, God, that was about when the awesome stopped. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> it was the so cu- bad after that. <laughs> the Cubs desperately needed that guy to come in and be a big yeah. horse for them in the uh, because before he signed, their bullpen was a mess. I remember yeah. that, and I think there's like eight or nine hundred mem- Cubs fans in our Rotomasters Two League, and you <laughs> all were just blowing up in excitement when they signed him, and understandably so. I well, mean, yeah, was, you had to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was a little scared of him going into last year because of that late season run and how wild he was. But the price is discounted this year. And yeah, I I think he's all right here. I I'll say this. I'll say it this way. Kinley Jansen is a safer pick to me, but I think Craig Kimbrell has the higher like I feel I would feel more comfortable of asking who reaches their full upside and pitches at an elite level. I would think it Kimbrel's Kim, more likely. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I did get a share of him in an auction league here last week, and I I still plug my nose as I did it, but I thought thought it was a good enough price to get a closer, and that's how he ended up on my team. He's he's gonna have to be pretty bad to not be a closer. Like you get what I'm saying. Like to that's not a good point. Ninth. I mean, how bad would Kimbrel have to be? He, he's he would have to be off, like just so awful. I feel like so he should at least get saves, and you just hope everything else cooperates. Yeah, agreed. Okay, we're going to take a little break here, and then we're going to start talking about a lot more of these mid-tier pitchers and take some picks here. Okay. These next three closers, and I'm going to group Kimbrell in here too as he's ranked around the same, but because I said Kimbrell was going at 144, and 145 is Hector Neris with the Phillies. 149, 13th overall closers, Will Smith with the uh, Braves, and Rizel Iglesias at 149 overall. So, Andrew, how would you order these guys in draft preference? Uh, you just said you'd take Kimbrell, number one. So what about these three? I would go Iglesias, Kimbrell, then Iglesias, then Naris, and then Will Smith. And with Will Smith, it's really just, I mean, I don't know for sure if he's the closer. I think that's pretty, pretty clear. I've seen a lot of drafts recently, I feel like, where 
Will Smith goes and then Mark Melanson goes right after. Mm-hmm. I saw it once in one of mine, and I saw it once in another draft I was looking at where it was like, I think the guy in the end is trying to get both of them, you know, like just didn't work out. I mean, they, they're going pretty close now. There's a gap on here, but this is all the drafts since November, so it's hard to say. But, yeah, I like Iglesias actually quite a bit. I Just relative to this range, I feel like. He's pretty good. I actually got him in my draft champions league from December. So happy with that. Naris is fine too. He should hold the job, you would think. But yeah, these guys are just solid mid tier guys. Will Smith, I'm completely baffled that he's going this early. Every time I've done a mock or a real draft and I've seen him go, I'm like, why is he going right now? I honestly think Melanson starts the year with the closer role. Right. If I think I remember them saying that after they signed him and I'm not saying he finishes the year with it, but I think he starts it. So I definitely am not in on him at this price. Okay. The next group, we got Alex Colomay with the White Sox. It's the 15th overall closer at 162 overall. Hansel Robles at 171 overall. Jose Leclerc. With Texas at 173 and Archie Bradley at 181. So of this group, who you got? LeClerc. LeClerc, huh? Yeah, I think LeClerc's a stud. I actually, I really like, I like LeClerc a lot more now that Classe is gone. I'm starting, I like Classe too, but I was wondering how much he would push him and potentially out of that, but. Yeah, everything with LeClerc's pretty elite. I mean, I think he's a stud that shouldn't really be pushed now as far as, you know, the guy that get the saves. So, well, I mean, like I said, kind of at the top, though, when you get to a point on this list, and we're definitely at the point, these guys are all a string of blow-ups away from losing the losing the job, at least yep. temporarily. At least temporarily. And then it comes down to how the other guy is doing. You know, there's always these scenarios that come up during the year. You never see them coming. And then you get into late April, May, June, whatever. Guy has a few blowups. And then there's another guy in that bullpen that's pitching well. They move in. And then, you know, like, just take Liam Hendricks and, and Trinan. It's like nobody expected Liam Hendricks to have the gig for the whole rest of the season and go into this season as a top five closer. Nobody did. No. But that stuff just randomly happens because it's reliever, you know, and one of these guys will be bitten by that. I'm sure of it. But I'd say two is, of them will. Yeah, I mean, very possible, you know, and you just I, – I tend to, when you start getting down here, it's very tempting in drafts to draft – the role, but I prefer to just draft the guy that I think's the better pitcher. Like there will be one I know that we get to in a little bit that I think's a stud, but the role is in question. There's a couple of them actually, but I just kind of tend to lean a little bit more on those guys. It, it depends a little on who who else you have on your team. I mean, you have to, you definitely want to get the saves, but you got to speculate a little bit too. So I just think it's good to speculate with the guy that you actually think is the best pitcher. Yeah, LeClerc, it's all about finding the strike zone. He's walked way too many so far early on, but, man, he's got the best stuff in this group for sure. 
Uh, next group, we got, let's see, let's see, 19th is Emilio Pagan. Most of that's because he was traded after or after a lot of these drafts. Uh, number 20 is Ian Kennedy with the uh, Royals at 201. 21 is Giovanni Gallegos, Gallegos with the Cardinals at 213. Joe Jimenez with the Tigers is at 224. And Keon Kila is also at 224 with the Pirates. So, Andrew, what about this group? Definitely Gallegos for me. Mm-hmm. I he fully was, expected he, that. Yeah, he was one of the guys I was talking about. Better K-minus walk percentage last year and better whip and better ERA and SIERA than Brad Hand. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. I love Gallegos for where he's going. Like, if a year from now we're sitting here saying Gallegos was a top five closer, won't surprise me one bit. I think mm-hmm. he definitely has that ability. The role is in question. I mean, there's a few things that have to happen where he is just the full-on closer. I get that. He's got more risk as far as that goes than the other guys in this group. I mean, like Ian Kennedy's most likely the closer. Joe Jimenez is most likely the closer. I also don't think that those guys are going to be elite closers. Like, they'll get saves and probably punish your ratios at least a little bit. I think Keela could be good. But, yeah, I just think if it all comes together for Gallegos, mostly just getting the role, then I think he could take off. And I think he could absolutely blow away this ADP. You and I talked about him about two months ago, and I was not in on him as you as high as you. And it was mostly because I just thought during this offseason they were going to sign a closer. But the further we've gotten in to this offseason, the more reports I'm hearing that Carlos Martinez is still planning on trying to pitch out of this in the starting rotation again. I've changed my tune on this one in terms of I could see him getting that role. And I don't have any shares, but I'd love to get one. Yeah, the one the one thing that makes me hesitate with that is I don't really think Carlos Martinez can hold up as a starter. I agree. And I've I've thought about that in terms of Gallegos. Because if he can't hold up as a starter, obviously he's going back to the bullpen, and then is he the closer? Mm-hmm. You know, if he's in the rotation, then I think Gallegos is at least the leader in the clubhouse for the job, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of questions there for me with – they could say whatever they want right now, but it's like we'll see if Carlos Martinez can hold up because I just don't – I don't really buy that. I like way I like way too many Cardinals this year. By the way, <laughs> like the other night, I'm sitting in that draft and I drafted Colton Wong and Matt Carpenter and of course Dylan Carlson. And I'm just sitting here like, what is going on this year? I love Gallegos. It's like, man, this sucks. <laughs> hey, it's just you're just waiting to come aboard here. I've got a card. <laughs> you've got you've even got a Cardinal hat now. <laughs> Okay, next tier here. Mark Melanson finally shows up at 24 overall, 234, pick 234. And I'm just going to run down all these guys. These these range everywhere between 234 and pick 436 here. Nick Anderson with the Tampa Bay Rays is a 25th reliever. 
Scott Oberg with the uh, Rockies is 26. Michael Gibbons at 27. Daniel Hudson with the uh, Washington Nationals at 28. Seth Lugo, 29. Blake Trinan at 30. Matt McGill at 31. And Dylan Matances with the Mets at 32. So late round closers are. are pretty much are going away and now we've got a lot of question marks on this list so andrew if you waited on the position who are you taking here at the end of the draft of the guys you named off it absolutely has to be nick anderson yeah like there is just not even a debate nick anderson like if the best possible scenario to me, Nick Anderson is the best closer in the game. I think it's possible. I agree. Guy's got Second, nasty stuff. Josh Hader had the highest swinging strike rate, to no one's surprise, I'm sure, of all relievers. Nick Anderson was number two. He can definitely do it. There's a few things. I mean, obviously, with Tampa Bay – it's really hard to trust anything. I mean, yes. Like I don't, I don't fully believe that they're going to give him the job. Just be like, here you go. You're the man ninth inning. Let's do it. I, I don't really believe that, but even if it's like 50, 50 combine that with his skill set, And it's like, you just have to buy in because the boom potential here is just, it's through the roof. I mean, probably even more so than it is with Gallegos. So, Mm. yeah, those two guys in the back half, you know, 15 to 30 range, I think they just stand out far, far and away from everybody else. These other guys are just kind of all comparable, but he definitely stands out. Yeah, and you could take him and still take like a Diego Castillo a couple rounds later. And you should have the position coverage. Now, again, it's Tampa. What what percent would you give that Tampa, that either Nick Anderson or Diego Castillo is closing for the Rays this year, all through the season? You mean like, what percent? Basically, that they just give somebody like one guy the job and. Uh, either one let's yeah let's just say those two guys versus the rest of the bullpen how like what odds would you give that one of those two guys has the closer role all year and nobody else does it's tampa probably like thirty five to forty percent i thought i was i thought i was being low at 60 percent so yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, just don't trust Tampa. That's what they just bounce around with guys. Yeah, but again, like y- you could look at every guy in this range and come up with a scenario that where they they don't close. Mm-hmm. Like all these guys could, you know, nobody's a lock in in this spot. So it's just you just have to bet on the skills with Nick Anderson. I I think he's gonna trend up even a little more from this i'd like to see his adp over the last month but um one other guy that i kind of like in here and he's going a lot later than nick anderson is 
Daniel Hudson. I think he could be all right for where you for where you take him. I actually missed it. Did did you miss Sean Doolittle in here? His where is he going? I must have. I must have missed. That's him. what I was actually. I'm pulling it up, so don't worry about it. I, I the reason I thought of it is because the other night in my draft, I took a 20 team league. I took Osuna as my top closer, and then I took Doolittle. And I took Hudson. So I have both guys, both Nats guys. I just backed up. But I took Doolittle before Hudson. I just am trying to see. And 21st and that, closer off the board at 204, 203 overall would have been in, okay. as his ADP. So I just yeah, missed him. Sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So 204, you said? 203. Just 203. Yeah. So Ian, like after Ian Kennedy, before Gallegos. Yeah, right. that seems that seems about right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like the guy that's get. I like the guy that's getting the saves for the Nats, whichever one it is. I think the guy will either one of them will be solid. I'm not real sure who it'll be, but I think that the guy will be solid. So, yeah, I think both of them will get a lot of saves this year. I think he'll start off Doolittle yeah. again, but he he does not have a body to, that holds up well for a full season. Yeah. All right, uh, Scott Erberg. He's 259 overall, and he it's been announced that Wade Davis, some for some reason, is starting the year with the closers role. More saves in 2020. Wade Davis or Scott Oberg? Oberg. Agreed. All right. Yeah, I, can't, uh, I can't. I cannot with Wade Davis. No. I have what? I have watched way too many Wade Davis blowups in the last year, year and a half. It is just yeah. that guy is terrible. Like I'm sorry, he's terrible. You know, I said earlier that Ken Giles has gone up and down on this roller coaster. Yeah, uh, Wade Davis is off the tracks at this point. Yeah, yeah he's not. He's not even on the roller coaster anymore. <laughs> nope. Uh, okay. Uh, notables outside the top thirty. I just got a couple of them. Diego Castillo is at five oh four. This is a lot because of the news. I'm sure he shot up significantly. But Kevin Obarski asked. Who's closing in Tampa, and why should it be Diego Castillo? So, first off, I'll ask you this question, then we'll move into Kevin's question. Do you prefer Diego at his price or Nick Anderson at 239 Nick Anderson. Yeah. You know, yeah, originally, I just... originally I was thinking I'd rather have Diego just because it's so much cheaper and probably just like to get both. Personally, and make sure I got it covered there early on in the year. Take one of those yeah, bench slots for, for, for me. For me, it's just that late. I mean, yeah, Castillo's way later, but it's late enough even with with Anderson where when I feel the way that I feel about a guy like that's upside, like just his pure upside. Like I don't think Diego Castillo is capable of being a top five closer like I just don't think he is I think if he I think he could probably close all year get the job done 10 15 and, guy. you know have have some you know have plenty of saves and be comparable to like Hector Neris you know and just be a middle of the road solid closer and there's nothing wrong with that he I do think Castillo could be that and he could be a steal where he's going too it's ultimately just going to come down to who gets the saves, which once again, you could be the biggest insider in the world. And I'm not convinced, you know, 
No, nope. you know? it's just like one of those things that it almost changes by the day sometimes. But yeah, Nick Anderson's pure upside in the spot he's at. I mean, I know Derek Ambrose is smiling if he's listening because I know he <laughs> loves him. But yeah, I would take Anderson. Next up, Corey Knievel at 522 overall. Uh, does he feel like a smart handcuff and redrafts for Hater for drafts, re- redrafts? Is he is he starting on the DL or the IL? Do you know? I think I he's not He's not ready, is he? I don't think he's going to be ready for opening day, but I don't think he'll be yeah. too far behind. Yeah, it's hard to handcuff something like that. I feel like it's going to take long enough that I mean, I guess if you can just throw him on your IL, it doesn't hurt. But I don't think he's going to come off the IL and just take the job from Josh Hader, like I said. So I would probably say no. Yeah, I I think I agree, but I'm definitely watching because... If it was a draft and hold, yeah, I would say yes in a draft and hold. If, you know, late rounds and you're just trying to make sure you get the Milwaukee saves, I get it there. But like in a regular standard league with a seven-man bench, I I don't really want to use one of my bench slots to handcuff the best reliever in baseball. Like I just I, – I don't really want to do that. You know, one thought though, he, he probably could go on the IL to start the year, so he's not taking a bench slot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if that's hmm. the case, that's, that's fine. A couple more here. Wade Davis, 523. We've already talked about him. Emmanuel Classe at 541. We did talk about him earlier. And Brandon Kensler at 552 overall with the Miami Marlins. Uh, any interest in any of these guys? Who are you drafting first in a draft and hold since we're talking this late? Out of these three? Yep. It depends if I just need saves or if I need upside. Definitely not Wade Davis. So it would be <laughs> either Kinsler or Classe. If I if I've got saves, like if I have two closers, two good ones, or two or three good whatever, I, I'd probably take Classe. But uh, if I like need saves, Kinsler. Yeah, he's gonna Kinsler's gonna go up though from this. I mean, he's yes. not gonna. Yeah, he's gonna go up from this. So. He's a late round guy who's going right there at the near the end of those fifteen team drafts, and I've snagged him in a couple leagues because I like his price. But on the same note, he's not going to get many save ops, and he could very easily be traded by summer. Yeah, I think Classe is one of those guys where, when and if he ever is in the role, he could just take off too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's. He's definitely further away from it than guys we're talking about like Gallegos and Nick Anderson. I mean, he's got Brett Hand in front of him, and Brett Hand's really good, you know. But if he ever has that opportunity or when he gets it, I think he could run with it. Mm-hmm. I agree. And then James Krenchek, there's always a chance he's 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 right there with the potential too. Yeah. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll wrap up these and t- wrap up talking about these closers. Or actually, I guess I should ask you: Is there anybody else that you we haven't talked about that you'd want to discuss? A uh, possible guy to get saved. My, my main guy that we didn't mention at all would it would be Hunter Harvey. Ah, uh, yes. I like I like Hunter Harvey, considering he's free pretty much. 
I think it's like the perfect combination of upside talent. I mean, it's it, it's pretty clear at this point that Hunter Harvey isn't going to make it as a starter. He's just mm-hmm. been too injured, and you know, it's just been over and over and over. We've been talking about Hunter Harvey for years, you know. But I think now, you know, he's relatively healthy, has nasty stuff, plays up in the bullpen in short bursts. Nobody else really that's that intriguing in that bullpen. I think it's kind of sets up for him. I mean, especially as a dart late, you know, it's just one of those where I could see him being a good closer. I mean, obviously they're not going to win a lot of games, but I think where you can get him, what you have to pay for him, he's worth it. Yeah. And Michael Givens is terrible. So that helps too. Yeah, that that helps too. <laughs> okay, now we'll take that break and we'll close up with a few of those questions I ask at the end of each of these position ranks. Okay, Andrew, the two questions I like to ask... At, at the end of these, first one, who are the closers you're most likely to draft on your team this year? Aroldis Chapman, Roberto Osuna, Edwin Diaz, maybe Kenley, Rysel Iglesias, Leclerc, Gallegos, Nick Anderson, Hunter Harvey. That's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> yes, that is a lot. Hey, yeah, those but, are your guys. Yeah. You didn't even mention Gallegos. Oh, I thought I said him, but yeah, you, Gallegos you, too. You may have, and I just missed it. Uh, Chapman and Asuna are definitely the top two for me. I'm usually trying to grab one of those two. I like that 15 to 18 tier. I think there's a lot of those guys that I'd like to grab as my number two. And if not, I'll move myself down lower and try to get guy go. So I think I'm reaching the point where I'm okay grabbing him. Uh, before I wasn't so sure. So those are the ones I'd pick. And who are the guys you're staying away from at their current ADP? I won't be getting Kirby Yates and probably not Giles. And I think I'm just I'm just out on the the Braves guys, Will Smith and Melanson. Just I at least until there's some kind of clarification. I feel like they're too high on the list for considering we just don't know. Yeah. I, I just don't. I just stand away from it. Agreed. Those, um, those would be mine. When you get to the bottom, I mean, it's it's not. I think I'd have to be in a. 300 round draft to draft Wade Davis <laughs> never will take him. Yes. <laughs> Gosh, I just agreed. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, th- I don't know if we've talked about this before, but if you haven't looked, I was talking with a friend about this and we were talking about Wade Davis. I said, go look at his September and I think August, September game log. They uh, were absolutely terrified to put him in the game at the end of last year. And when they yeah. did, it didn't go well. So, yeah, my mine number one poster child's Liam Hendricks. I just not going to be taking him. 
And outside beyond that, Ken Giles would be number two for me. Not those are the two guys in the top ten. I'm not touching. Okay. Well, that wraps it up, Andrew. And you don't have any drafts going on at the moment, do you? I just finished. Well, I think we're about done. I've been doing it's you know, it's sub draft season, so I think where are we at here? We got eight picks left, nine picks left in the RM3 sub draft. So what will this have been? Basically 13 days. I've done four of those. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're basically done. So tomorrow and Sunday, no drafting, and then Monday we start D8, the draft and hold leagues that Jory's starting for Baseball 365, and TGFBI starts. Both of those start on Monday. So yeah, get a couple yeah. days here, couple days here to reset these these sub drafts. It's just been. It's been a grind. <laughs> 12, 13 days of it. It's just like, um, I love them. I really do love them. And I can't wait to do the podcast, but I'm kind of ready f- to like move on to the regular drafts. It's been fun, though. Yeah, we get a little bit of a breather here, and then we go right back into madness, having two drafts starting on the same day. That's going to be nuts. And you and I are in the Baseball 365 draft and hold, so we'll be drafting against each other there. And then we got TGFBI. Your second appearance, first time be drafting a whole team on your own, and this will and this will be my first appearance, and all that will where be going you, on Monday. Where are you picking? If I recall it, we're on the exact opposite ends because I pick 14th. Don't you have the second pick? Yeah, it's second. Yeah. So we averaged that. No, we're not in. We're not in the same league in that one, but mm-hmm. the one we are in the same league, we're eighth and ninth, so we'll be back to back. Yes, we'll be. I'm looking forward to that one, (laughs) but yeah, we'll have a lot to talk about, but next week is going to be one of the best, most look, the episodes that we look forward to most is the episode that we got coming up next week. We got sub drafts where Andrew and I are going to break down all of these first year player drafts and talk about the ADPs and give our thoughts that we really haven't given yet on air about all of these guys, we'll be talking Jason Dominguez. We'll be talking Andrew Vaughn. We'll be talking a lot of other guys. So that's going to be fun, Andrew. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. Be good. Yeah. Any final words before we get out of here? Nope, I'm good. Good luck to anybody uh, drafting or starting to draft. So. It's yeah, definitely. We're definitely getting in full swing here. So yes, we are. And good luck to you with TGFBI. And as for the baseball 365 draft and hold, I hope you finish second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I don't win, I hope it's you. So well, it'll be fun. Yep. All right. Well, until next week. Take care, everybody. Yeah. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, 
We would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 